Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me. And all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Academy Queens. I'm going to need a bigger cup of tea. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And I am not as long, but I satisfy just as well like Barry Lyndon himself. I am Joey Gentile. And we are here today with a special bonus Patreon episode voted on by our patrons. We are here to discuss the best picture lineup of 1975, considered by many to be one of the best, if not the best, best picture lineups of all time. So, um, Joey, how do you feel about this lineup? Uh, definitely not the best. I think in order for me to think it is something is the best, everyone has to be spot on. Which, right off of my head, I don't know if I can think of a year where I love every single Best Picture nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it's, it's it's good, but I mean, there are three standouts for me. One that's okay and one that is no. So, I think it's okay. How about you? I think it's uh, generally pretty strong. Um, I also don't love every film in this lineup, but I think each one in its own way has, um, if not stood the test of time, has developed a a resurgence or newfound following. So each one, I think, is unique and um, has its own set of strengths. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I was like... <clears throat> One of the things that obviously we'll do here, they'll find out in a second, is we pick a movie that we think, you know, we could have seen in this Best Picture lineup. And so I Google searched films of 1975 and realized how not only different the landscape of how films were released back then, because there was only like one or two every week, but it was very much like there wasn't a lot going on this year. Mm. So it'll be interesting to hear what you think. I think I think we're going to be separate because I honestly have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'll be interested to hear if you know where I'm going. But I want to ask you really quick because we got some news today from the Academy. Agents can now vote now. I mean, how do you feel about this? Um, so yeah, I'm just learning about this as well. I haven't read fully into it. I've just seen like the headlines and brief little snippets that people have uh, commented online. It seems kind of odd to me um, Mm -hmm. that agents would be um, involved in the voting process. Um, It sounds like there's not going to be very, kind of, it sounds like there's not going to be very many of them, so I'm not sure how much they can turn the tide. But, I mean, if there's a a neck-and-neck race, of course, they could push someone over the finish line if they all, you know, get behind one person. But... Mm -hmm. um, assuming that agencies are going to have multiple contenders vying for different categories. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Ooh, I want to know if Kevin Huvane is voting for his favorite Meryl Streep or his stepdaughter, Glenn Close. Hmm. Hmm. Kevin Huvane, who are you voting for? What I want to know is, you know, cinematographers nominate cinematographers, actors nominate actors, directors, directors. You're not nominating agents, so where do they fall into the nomination process? That's what I want to know. Well, I don't know if they would nominate. They might just vote on the final nominees. I think I read something. Mm-hmm. They're considered members at large, so I don't think mm-hmm. they're they're associated with a discipline. So they might not 
vote in the nomination process, sort of like how um, members of Film Independent, most of whom don't select the nominees, we just vote based on what the nominees are when right. another group of people decides. So I wonder if it's similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, because with SAG, it's not, you're not voting, like, to nominate. Only, like, a certain amount of SAG members nominate each year. That's why right. you always have, like, a few rando nominations that pop in where they don't pop in anywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, just curious to know where you, where you, you know, fall on that. Because I, I thought it very interesting little tidbit of info that came out of the Academy today. Yeah, I'm in the questionable stage of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, should I start this one off then, since you're going to lead us on the rest of the conversation? Sure. Should have been a contender of 1975 is the one, the only, the deliciously Day of the Locust starring Ms. Karen Black. Um, Heard of her. Yeah, yeah, she's, you know, she's this little, small, independent actress. Um, Yeah. I love Day of the Locust, even though the Day of the Locust is what Karen considered to um, be the film that derailed her career, which unfortunately wasn't, you know, her fault. It fell on John Schlesinger and his ass. Um, But yeah, as a film, I think it's delicious. I think it's everything that the Academy usually goes for in today's era when when Hollywood wants to kiss its own ass, um, a la 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 Land. That's actually fun to say, a la 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 land. Um, but yeah, I think The Day of the Locust is great. It's got tension, it's got comedy, it's got sexiness, and of course, Karen Black. And it's got, it, have you ever seen this movie? A long time ago. So it was actually funny because I talked to Jackie Earl Haley about this because I didn't realize that was, he played this really, really bratty kid, spoiler alert, who gets killed at the end of the movie. And, like, people go fucking nuts. Like, people, like, rip this dude apart. I want to say it's Donald Sutherland, but I really don't think it is. Um, I'm a horrible person who did not do his homework. I was just like, yes, this is the movie. Um, But, yeah, it's delicious and dark and mischievous, and I think it should have been a contender. Yeah, I had a feeling you might go with Day of the Locust, considering the Karen Black connection. I would never. You think I'm obsessed? Well, um... Mine is actually the story of Adele H. Um, this okay. is a movie. This is a movie that has really like stayed with me since we recorded our 1975 episode. Um, I don't know what it is about this movie, but it's sort of like latched onto me. And every once in a while, I find myself thinking about it. And um, if, I think if we were to record that episode today, I might lean more toward Isabel Anjani than the uh, person I ended up going with. Uh, it's kind of one of those movies that. Um, just keeps burning in the back of my mind ever since, and uh, I should probably revisit it soon. So yeah, I think uh, that movie should have uh, been a little bit more praised. First of all, you went with Hedda. You went with uh, yes. Wanda Jackson. So very intriguing um, on that change possibility. But also, too, I was kind of expecting shampoo from you, so that was a nice little, uh, nice little one-up. Okay. But shampoo, I could have seen like. It's not a movie that I'm in love with, but in a less um, strong year, I could definitely see a movie like Shampoo sneaking into a real-life Best Picture lineup. It's that kind of film with that kind of cast, you know? Yeah. Do you know, I will say what I what I strongly considered um, for Best Picture would have been the Rocky Horror Picture Show, 
Mm. If it wasn't for the funny girl-esque second half, where it's like the first half of the movie is really, really good, and the second half just really dies out. Um, I think after they kill the meatloaf character, it's just like... Mm-hmm. As much as I love Rocky Horror, like even I struggle with that second half of that movie. Yeah. But um, but yeah, kudos. Like we had some good picks there. Yeah, two very different movies, but I dig very it. different, very different. Take us away. Okay. Well, um, the nominees for Best Picture in 1975 were Jaws, Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, Nashville, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And uh, that's the order we're going to go in. So let's uh, start things off with Jaws, the big blockbuster of the year. It's nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music Dramatic Score. And it wins three of those. The only one it does not win is Best Picture. Jaws is the story of a sheriff and a marine biologist and a cantankerous sea dog who set out to hunt down the great white shark that has been terrorizing the community that refuses to close down its seaside tourist attractions for the sake of the economy. Sound familiar? (laughs) So um, how do you feel about Jaws? Okay, so I have to attack Jaws like I had to attack Pulp Fiction when we did the 1994 episode because I have to I have to look at it as an Academy voter in 1975, right? So let me let me start there. Also, too, I had never seen the very first Jaws until maybe two years ago. Um, it's not something I ever just like went out of my way to find. It's also something I never went out of my way to avoid. Um, I had seen Jaws two and three as a kid. And I was just kind of content with knowing that, you know, I had seen those. Um, Because I also, too, like, knew everything that happened in Jaws once. Like, character-wise, who dies, story-wise, these guys are, you know, on a boat, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, whatever. And then I remember watching the movie, especially to shout out to Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, because the opening of Jaws was number one, which I kind of laugh at, because it was definitely not the scariest movie moment ever. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I knew a lot going into this. Um, I think Jaws is really, really well done. Um, it is not a scary movie, in my opinion. This is not a horror film. Um, this is the birth of the popcorn summer blockbuster movie. I mean, this movie broke records when it came out. Um, so it is very much a film that does its job. And so... You know, I I respect for what it, you know, what it did. Um, I also have to think at the time of the films that were coming out and the type of, um, the, the type of effects, because even for 45 years later, the effects on these, this movie is fantastic. Um, you know, you look at other creature features of the 70s, like Piranha or Leeches or whatever the hell, Killer Fish, Another Karen Black movie, shout out. Um, and those are really, really silly effects. This is held up over time. Um, now, do I think it earned its place as a classic? Yeah, I do. Um, is I'm going to steal from you. Is it my cup of tea? Not really. But I don't hate it. You know, I think it's fun. It's a blockbuster popcorn flick. And, you know, kudos. I will say it does have a really um, successful jump scare in the film. And that's when Richard Dreyfuss's character goes down to search like this shipwreck, and there's a there's a fucking face that pops out of nowhere. Um, 
great jump scare. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's not even my favorite favorite of the Jaws movies. I think Jaws Two is a superior film, but that's just me because I think it's fun. What about you? So I love Jaws. Um, I saw it for the first time as a kid. It's uh, one of my stepfather's favorite movies, and um, I was shown Jaws pretty young. I was probably like seven or eight when I saw it for the first time, and I'm a big fan. I think it holds up pretty well. I think it's very masterfully crafted, and um, you know what? I'm going to say I think Jaws is a horror movie. Um, it's, I mean, it's got these jump scares that you mentioned. The mm. opening is, even if uh, people of today are not scared when they watch the opening, I think it is pretty terrifying. It's pretty brutal, and um, I'm sure it was horrifying to a lot of the viewers of 1975 going into this film. Plus, Jaws sort of terrified an entire generation of children into uh, not going into the waters at the beach or even swimming pools. I know people who are afraid of swimming pools as kids because they were afraid a shark would get them, which makes no logical sense. But when you are so terrified of something, um, <laughs> logic doesn't play in. So um, right, right. even if even if it wasn't um, intended, quote unquote, to be a horror movie, I don't think intention ultimately determines what something is. It's the impact that it has. And Jaws has had a lasting impact of horrifying children. Um, little embarrassing thing uh, about my stepfather who doesn't listen to this podcast, so whatever. Um, his mother once told me um, that when he saw Jaws as a kid, and I mean, he would have been three or four when it came out, but I'm not sure how old he was when he saw it eventually. Apparently when he was a child, he was afraid of going to the bathroom because he because there's water in the toilet and a shark could get him through that water. Like this is the effect that movie has on people. So um, I think it's perfectly valid to classify it as a horror film. Um, I also think it has such a lasting impact because it is so well made. This movie is a 10 out of 10 in so many different categories. I think it earned its um, sound editing and music. Um, nominations. Um, I could have seen it being nominated elsewhere, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, something that I think is really cool about Jaws, uh, a little nerdy thing, during the opening credits, when we're sort of underwater and uh, swimming through the depths, um, at seeing through like the, the camera's point of view, we're getting the opening credits, and um, the moment we see edited by uh, Vera Fields, it immediately cuts to that party on the beach. And I think that's kind of a mm -hmm. low-key baller move to have your title credit as the editor and then cut to the next scene. I don't know. It's a little funny thing that I don't know if that was intentional, but I have a feeling it must have been considering how meticulously made this movie is. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I mean, it's also got, you know, that iconic score. I mean, everyone recognizes the Jaws score, whether they, you know, they've seen the movie or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a really like, great as, film. It's as iconic as the Halloween score, actually. And again, I look at the review that I just gave in the lens of 75. So can't take away its status, not trying to. But um, yeah, I, I love that we were weirdly opposite, yet weirdly kind of similar, maybe. I don't even know. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um... Aside from the four nominations that it got, um, is there anywhere else that you think it should have been recognized or could have been recognized? Mm -hmm. I, I'm interested to... Oh, God, his name is slipping me. Not Scheider, not Dreyfus, the other one. Uh, Shaw? 
Yes, Robert Shaw. Supporting actor nomination right there. Um, he's my favorite thing about this movie. Um, his performance is so delectable. Um, so I would have given him a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Um, and honestly, so, uh, oh, shit. So you had Milos Forman, Federico Fellini, Stanley Kubrick, Singh Lumet, Robert Altman. Um, that is a solid-ass lineup for Best Director. I mean, Fellini's Amacord is the only one that did not get in for Best Picture. So clearly, if you're going to do it by, like, picture to director, he took Spielberg's place. I love that nomination from him. Um, I'm going to keep director as is. Yeah, I don't think Spielberg should get in there with the five who are there. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it feels like if there should have been a nomination anywhere, it is in the director field. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to boot any one of those guys. But, yeah, it's really tough to decide who exactly you would kick out um, to make room for him. I'm also a little biased because I love Fellini. Like, I still can't get over that he lost his director nomination to the Tom Jones dude um, mm-hmm. for eight and a half. So maybe it's my bias for Fellini, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got to keep directors as that. Yeah, that's now that is probably one of the best best director nom- uh, lineups ever. Yeah, um, I am on board with you though with Robert Shaw. I think a supporting actor nomination for uh, Quint would be. Mm-hmm. Very well deserved. I think he is a hoot in this movie. And he has maybe one of the most iconic entrances in film history with the nails on the chalkboard during the town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. And he just launches into this monologue, uh, which has been parodied so many times uh, because it's so freaking good. I yeah. love it. I will, um, I, I'm, you know, if we ever get to the guys, I'll be excited to talk Specifically about Roy Scheider and all that jazz, but the reason I'm bringing this up, there was a couple years ago, um, Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep had done like the, that uh, actors on actors type thing, and they were asked, who do you think was ever really sexy? And Emily Blunt said Roy Scheider, and the face that Meryl Streep gave her was so shady to Scheider and, and to Blunt. And then she explained the way this, that man smoked a cigarette was one of the most seductive smoking of cigarettes in the world. And she's got a point. He smokes a damn sexy cigarette. Yeah. Yep, yep. You know, I don't know. Is there a more quintessentially 70s actor than Roy Scheider? Like, I know he did things outside of the 70s, but in my mind, he just, he was the 70s. Like, when I think of his films, all I think of are those ones. You know I what see I mean? what you mean. I, I definitely see what you mean. I mean, look at, he started off that decade with the French Connection and ended it with all that jazz. I mean, hello. What a right. fucking bookend of a decade. Um, I don't know, though, because I feel like that way kind of with Al Pacino. Like, if anyone's going to give Scheider a run for his money, I think it's Pacino. Mm-hmm. But I definitely don't disagree with you. You know, I think Jaws, it might be my favorite PG-rated film. Can we talk about that for a second? The fact that, I mean, in modern day, this this first one, I don't even know if this first one would be considered R, definitely PG-13. But, um, I mean, you see some movies get R for just language. But um, the fact that there was a system at one point for PG films like this, and then like something like Clash of the Titans in 1980, where 
not I mean Americans have this weird thing with nudity and there's nothing wrong with female breasts but there is this thing about female breasts specifically because of the nipple that Americans get all really really weirded out about and yet you have mm-hmm. like Clash of the Titans where uh, the goddesses are feeding their babies and it's a, got a PG rating and like people would freak out about that now if that tried to pass as PG today so it's fascinating to me how the rating system worked then compared to now yeah, it definitely worked differently then. I know at the time Jaws came out, I don't think there was a PG-13 rating. I think that came in the 80s. Um, so it is kind of funny watching it today and seeing, you know, children being devoured by a shark and water stained with gallons of blood. You know, side note, I just love when children are killed in movies. It's always, you know, a blast. It, it, and it Jaws... that there is peace on Earth. And Jaws, I think, delivers in that department. Mm-hmm. You have been listening to a clip from one of our Academy Queens bonus episodes. If you would like to hear all of this episode and the rest of our sensational bonus content, please prance on over to patreon.com slash academyqueens and join our queendom.